Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball. Kind of whenever, I am your host, Christianta, over there to my actual left, as you cannot see on YouTube, unfortunately, is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I am doing well today. It's episode number two of our uh, players to watch. We had a we had a solid week last week. Uh, we had one repeat, which is the very first player. Yeah. Or was yeah. technically for me the second player, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, we got the NL East this week, a team with three playoff contenders and also the Marlins and Nationals. Yes, <laughs> who uh, I guess you could call not World Series contenders. Yeah, um, but uh, the most recent team to win the World Series in that division is that's the not, Nationals. No, that's not true. Or wait, yeah, oh yeah, the Braves. <laughs> the Braves won it in twenty twenty one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that would it would have been funny, but it's not true. Uh, more the, la- the the last cool World Series. Yeah, or yeah, I'd, I'd say 2022 so. was all right. Twenty twenty two was it had some cool. good it had some good games, but the series overall was like, yeah, you know, yeah, especially like once it like went to game he- one was good, uh, game three was good, game four was good. Well, game four also was like. You know, it's a no-hitter in a World that's, Series. That's why it was good. Um, One of my favorite tweets to come out of that, you know that, like, Super 70s sports account? Yeah. That, like, that reeks of, like, I'm better than you because I was born before you? Uh, they were, like, getting upset about the combined no-hitter, and they said, like, like let's see who, like how many people can name the four pitchers come next year. And I think it was Jeremy Frank was like, what are the odds this guy knows who Reed Detmers is? Yeah. Right, right. The one guy to throw a solo no-hitter in 2022. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is stupid. But, I mean, I guess their point was, like, you know, you remember the playoff no-hitters because there's literally only two. But, yeah, I don't know. It, You know. And they were, uh, I guess Don Larson's not a Hall of Famer. But one of them was done by a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Were, were they trying to, like, argue that they should have just kept Javier in or... I think they're arguing who cares. Right. Yeah, yeah. true. Um well I've I've had my I've had my slander on no hitters before. Yeah. So I just thought it was but, funny that he was like he was treating no hitters as like this immortality type thing where it's like if you throw a no hitter everyone knows you, but if you throw a combined no hitter no one remembers. Yeah, and I am on board with hating uh that type of account because they I think I do see tweets sometimes where it's like Hey, this you know this guy. He he had fifteen complete games seven years in a row. I yeah. mean, why isn't it like this anymore? I saw a tweet from like one of those like old baseball accounts. I couldn't believe it. It said, "If Pete Rose never bet on baseball, would he have been a Hall of Famer?" <laughs> and I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> the Hit King, the guy with four thousand career hits." It's weird that the, it's an old school account, considering yeah. that literally he has the most hit, which is yeah. Like, like that, that that's what made me confused. I was like, is this like a is this like a sabermetric account or is it a seventies account? Yeah, because I mean sabermetrically still he is a 
Hall of Famer, but not yeah, necessarily like... but not the way he is if you just look at his hits. Yeah, like an inner circle guy, because he had 70-something wins above replacement. Yeah, which which to me is still first ballot, but... Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, 79.6 war, uh, but also consider like... like a 110 OPS plus career? 118 okay. OPS plus, but also like, yeah, he did it in the most amount of games mm-hmm. ever, um, which you can... You can also like add to the resume of like yeah mm. he did but also like yeah he didn't have a crazy peak I guess you could say but you know we're not here to necessarily talk about that but yeah those accounts can be yeah. can be uh, frustrating sometimes but mm-hmm. I guess it I guess it they're fun to they're fun to dislike they're fun to dislike and sometimes they do post some fun stuff yeah it's like hey remember when the Orioles wore orange pants yeah true <laughs> they'll post that one like. You know, seven times a year. Oh, yeah, when Cleveland were all red. Yeah. Yeah, that was something. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, I think I, maybe I should do a parody account, and, but do dead ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> being like, wow. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, 70s sports. Oh, you thought I was talking <laughs> 1970s? Yeah. <laughs> like, why aren't people like Cap... Or, or why aren't players like Cap Anson anymore? He only struck out once in 1871. <laughs> People are doing that can, more than once a game now. When you could, when you could pick, when you could pick uh, <laughs> if it's a ball or a strike. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think maybe if I'm bored, if another pandemic happens, <laughs> I think that's what I'll do. Ah, <laughs> uh, so there there would be some upsides yes. to a second pandemic, is yep. what we're saying. Yeah. Um, As Chris creates the the parody old school sports account. <laughs> yes, <laughs> gonna try to push that. <laughs> try to get some. Who remembers when Silver King? Yeah, <laughs> guys are. They don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> guys are getting pulled after. Guys, you know, guys are getting shut down after 190 innings these days. <laughs> what about Old Hoss? 678. Old Haas had 60 wins this year. This team didn't even get to 60 wins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the Nationals won 55 games. Old Haas won 60. Well, speaking of a speaking of innings, um, the one guy who pitched 200 last year, good segue here, uh, was um, in the news because uh, actually a guy on Twitter, a reporter. Adam McKelvey, I think it was. Adam McKelvey. Um, had an interview. It was like kind of a press circle at at the Brewers Spring Training site, and uh, they were talking to Corbin Burns, and uh, they were talking about his arbitration hearing. Apparently, uh, Corbin Burns is his t- and his team um, were trying to get ten point seven five mil, and the Brewers were trying to get him for uh, like ten mil or like ten point oh something mil, um, and he talked about the. He talked about the arbitration hearing. I'll I'll just drop it into the um yeah into the podcast. It's only a couple minutes, so uh so yeah we can yeah we'll uh I'll send ta- I'll send you the uh the tweet so you can easily access it. Yeah, take a take a listen to uh, Corbin Burns talking about the arbitration process. At the hearing, flew in the night before. Um, had the hearing all day Tuesday. Um, spent Valentine's Day on a plane. Um, got home at you know ten eleven o'clock and and got to see my wife before she fell asleep. So that was kind of how the Valentine's Day went. So that was that was fun. But um, yeah, like I say, you, you kind of find out your true value. Um, 
you think you, you work hard for seven years in the organization and five years with the, with the big league team and um, you get in there and basically they, they value you much different than what you thought you'd, you contributed to the organization. Um, and it's just, you know, it's obviously it's tough to hear, it's tough to take, but you know, they're trying to do what they can to win a hearing. Um, but I think there was obviously other ways that they, they could have gone about it. Um, and um, probably been a little more respectful with the, with the way they went about it. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, here we are. Um, you know, they, they obviously, they won it, um, but it, it, when it came down to, to winning or losing the hearing, it was, it was more than that for me. Corbin, this is everyone's fear for a player, especially a star player going to a hearing that it creates just some maybe, not bad blood, but just some hard feelings that weren't there before. Um, how, how do you guys repair that? Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's no denying that the relationship is definitely definitely hurt from um, you know what what perspired over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, there's there, there's really no way of getting around that. Um, obviously, we're, we're we're professionals and we're going to go out there and, and do our job and you know, and keep giving what I can every fi every fifth day that I go out there. But um, you know, when some of the things that are said that um, you know, for instance, basically basically put me in the forefront of, of the reason why we didn't make the postseason last year. That, I mean, that's something that probably doesn't need to be said you know we can go go about a hearing without having to do that um so that's kind of one of those things that you know obviously you know they, there was no attacking of, of character of you know person of who i was but um just the just the some of the stuff that was said that you know definitely didn't need to be um said is is, is something that you know i think kind of disappointed everyone so yeah corvin burns not very happy uh apparently the brewers were kind of aggressive in uh in dishon yeah, I don't know, dishonoring him and yeah. how he p- pitched uh, last like, year, I guess. Arbitration but- is never a fun process for players. Like I've heard plenty of stories. Uh, I remember Sean Casey going on MLB Network and talking about like his experience in arbitration and hearing his team, you know, talk about why he shouldn't be paid, you know, X amount of dollars. Um, but to do that to Corbin Burns is insane to me because that is. Like, you know, that is a large part of the reason that your team is even good in the first place because, I mean, the the Brewers rotation is its strongest point, and that's not even up for debate. Uh, Corbin Burns won the Cy Young a year ago. If you take away the standards of his Cy Young 2021, he still had an excellent, excellent season in 2022. Uh, he had a, a sub-3 ERA, I believe. Yeah, two, 2.94. Yeah, 2.94 ERA. Uh a FIP in like the low threes, I think. Three one four. Yeah, I mean that's to say that he's at the forefront of reasons they didn't make the playoffs is like you're just lying. Yeah, like you're just straight up lying. Like, did we watch the same team? Yeah, when I heard that, I was like, okay, well, lo- let's look at the OPS leaderboards. Yeah. <laughs> for the uh, for the Brewers, yeah, it it is, it's crazy. Like, yeah, I guess maybe you could make the argument that if he performed like he did in twenty twenty one. Uh, yeah, they would have made the playoffs, and yeah, that's probably true. However, yeah, like, <laughs> but to, <laughs> you can't like to say forefront of the reasons. It's like yeah, because Corbin Burns didn't have the best FIP in a century again. Right, and and the the thing with that is, like, I don't know. I it's it's just weird to ever even bring that up because. It's an arbitration hearing. It's just about him. It's, it's not also, about It was the team. also over $700,000. Yes. Too. That's the most ridiculous part yeah. of it. Yeah. That's the most ridiculous part of it. Like, you, you know, it, it shouldn't even be about like, oh, you're the reason uh, the team didn't make the playoffs. Like, it's about, 
with arbitration hearings, you're going over like season stats, maybe over the past couple of years stats. Um, what you're projected to do in the next year. Yeah. You, you know, this is a guy who led the league and who led the NL in strikeouts too last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's not about like, oh, you maybe you had a bad start toward the end. Like that, that's yeah. a bad argument. Um, but yeah, I guess the Brewers did win the arbitration case. Yeah. It, it's, it's a weird process that baseball has done forever. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, uh, it's, it's weird. Um, and ultimately this is probably going to lead to Corbin Burns leaving the Brewers, whether it's by trade or by, uh, free agency. I mean, I can't imagine he's going to be too open to extension talks and I can't imagine the Brewers are going to, you know, be willing to shell out some money for Corbin Burns uh, for an extension considering they didn't want to do it in arbitration and they went to great lengths to not do that. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Went to great lengths to not pay him $700,000 more. I mean, you know, there's arbitration hearings a lot. I I remember, you know, I I don't have them all memorized, but I just remember, I think Mookie Betts, uh, in his second year arbitration, um, or no first year arbitration, it was like the Red Sox were offering 7.5. He wanted 10.5. So that's like a big, that's a pretty significant. I remember, uh, a couple of years ago, Marcus Stroman, like went on Twitter to talk about how like upset he was at the at the Blue Jays, and it was a four thousand four hundred thousand dollar difference, right? So they could have met in the middle at two hundred thousand. Yeah, like it's like with a Mookie Betts situation with the Red Sox, like seven point five versus ten point five. It's it makes sense to have a hearing over that, mm-hmm. and Betts ultimately uh, won. Luckily Thank for God. him, but um. But with with this situation, like I don't know, it's yeah. I mean, the Brewers have ter- like almost terminally destroyed their relationship with their ace pitcher over seven hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's literally the best like, player on their team. Literally, yes, the best player on their team. And maybe I don't know. Maybe they're scared of an extension because they don't want to, you know, remake the Yelich contract, which I kind of understand because the Yelich contract obviously has not worked out. And it's not even like a, a situation where it was like, yeah, of course that contract was going to fail. Christian Yelich was coming off of an 1100 OPS season. Like there was no reason to believe he was going to fall off the way that he did. Yeah, absolutely. Like that contract almost felt like a steal when it right. was signed. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I thought it was being way underpaid. He was mm-hmm. like at the time a top five player in baseball. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's weird because yeah, like a uh maybe a a team that has more financial flexibility or like, you know, claims to have more financial flexibility is trying to extend this guy instead of trying to, you know, not pay him $700,000 more. Mm -hmm. There is a real owner epidemic in baseball uh, where a large chunk of the owners, probably like two thirds of the owners just openly, you know, they won't say the quiet part out loud, but they really don't care about winning. They care more about profiting. Yeah, uh, and there is no better sign of it than what the Brewers have pulled right here with Corbin Burns because I think the Brewers are a good owner away from being a perennial World Series contender. I mean, you know, with a small market and a much lar- much smaller budget than the other you know big name teams like that have been you know in the scene for the last few years, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Braves, like the Brewers, they just missed the postseason this last year for the first time since 2017. I mean, they've been, you know, they've been in the mix uh, through this entire time. 
you know, and they're drafting well, they're developing well, uh, especially on the pitching side, maybe not as much the offensive side, but they're doing enough. Um, and the one, the one place where they're lacking is ownership. Yeah. Like that's it. Like they were the, they were one of the last teams. I think they were, I think the Marlins were the last team to sign a major league free agent this off scene and the, and the Brewers were second to last or it was the other way around. Right. Like it's, it's, uh, and, and yeah, they have a, you know, a lower, a lower tier payroll. They, they have, you know, it's not bottom barrel, but they have, uh, only the 19th highest payroll in all of baseball when, you know, they should be competing for the playoffs Mm -hmm. and they have guys like Corbin Burns. And I'm not even asking them to spend like the Mets do. Like if they can get a top 10 payroll, like they have a real shot. And not only that, but like they play in a ballpark that is so hitter friendly for with a team that's lacking offense. Like there are some obvious moves that could be made, especially on the free agent side of things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, even going back to uh, pre-2022, like, there were some good bats. There were some mm-hmm. good bats they could have gotten that would have, like, fit their mold, like Kyle Schwarber. Or... Kyle Schwarber would have been great for the Brewers. Yeah. yeah. Even, like, Joey Gallo, you could argue, could have been great for the Brewers. Right. Gary Sanchez is still out there. They just lost Omar Narvaez in free agency. And yeah. Gary Sanchez is out there. I know that he's relatively average for catchers, but his game fits that ballpark more than others. Yep, yep. But, uh, but yeah... Like, who even is the Brewers catcher going into this year? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, is. The, yeah, the the fact that they, this was it a is, fight. I guess it's William Contreras. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the fight over the, over the, uh, the, the fight over the $700,000, that definitely screams, like, a uh, business move, like, that a guy... Mm-hmm. You know, a guy would do it a company over like, you know, maybe, you know, a thousand dollars. Even though if it's not the biggest thing in the world, it's like you gotta, you know, make it's this. De- business, it's like dead weight or something. Make this business move. Yeah. It's nothing personal, just business. But yeah, I mean, it, it. I guess, like, I don't know if the Brewers have any plans of trying to extend him, um, or at least seriously extend him. Maybe they'll throw him, you know, a dead fish offer that they know he's not gonna take, mm-hmm. but. Like, you know, this is a guy heading into his age 28 season, yeah, already has a Cy Young under his belt and just, you know, had a 134 OPS or 134 ERA plus and led the league in strikeouts. Um, and they're, you know, this is how they're kind of going about trying to pay him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just that's just strictly business. And, uh, you know, it makes sense that a player wouldn't appreciate that at all. Yeah, I agree. Um yeah, yeah. The Mar- by the way, the, the Brewers were the last team to sign a major league free agent. The first one they signed, I believe, was Wade Miley on January 4th. And keep in mind, the entire offseason was basically over on January 4th. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, yeah, Like, like the- they could have signed J.D. Martinez to a deal. That could have mm-hmm. worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can go down the list here, but there even are like yeah, Nelson Cruz. Or Nelson something. Cruz, they could have brought him back. <laughs> oh yeah, he started his career there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like two thousand six. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, that's that's just a you know, Mitch Hanniger. Ha- this this type of stuff happens all the time, um, unfortunately, but yeah, the you know, much higher profile this time. Yeah. Um. And yeah, a lot of 
a lot of uh, MLB players. And also, he went. He went. He also went more public with it too. True. And yeah, it's not like he went out of his way and tweeted it. It was. It was in an interview, but he didn't hold back. Um, which good which for is him. Good. Good yeah. for him. Yeah. Because you know what? Like there, like there are going to be teams out there in two years when he's a free agent. They are going to be like, yeah, this guy will make us make the playoffs. They won't. He won't be the reason we don't make it. Right. Right, right, uh, they're right. going to give him what he deserves, and he deserves a nine-figure contract, probably above $200 million maybe even, depending on the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to – I mean, how old is Corbin Burns? He's probably like 26 or so. Uh, heading into his age 28 season. Okay, so I was a year off. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he'll be heading into free agency at age 30. 30. So, okay, so maybe he doesn't get 200 mil, but he gets like a six-, seven-year deal. You know, I, I, eh, maybe he does. Maybe he does. Gets the average annual value. Like it's it's possible. Pitchers, we talked about it with the Darvish thing. Pitchers age differently. Like they do. He gets like it wouldn't be absurd to sign him through like age thirty seven, age thirty eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if he continues to be one of the best pitchers in baseball, he should get thirty mil a year. Um, that's how it should go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> very off offhand here, but. I don't know if this if this track if this salary tracker is accurate, but if the Guardians' payroll is seventy five million, that means uh, Josh Bell is taking up over one fifth of their payroll. That's hilarious. That's <laughs> it's just weird that they went out and got him particularly. Yeah, and they got him on a weird deal too. Yeah, two like years, thirty two. Yeah. Um, I I was happy to see it. It's yeah, cool it's to good. See the Guardians spending, but it is funny that yeah, yeah. he's gonna take up. He's gonna be their anchor, I guess. Um, in in the payroll. Yeah, that's that's the guy to blame if the team underperforms. Yeah, it's because it's like, dude, you're taking up way too much of our <laughs> of our seventy five million dollars. <laughs> like, what do you understand? We're almost a third of the way to the luxury tax. Yeah, and it's because of you. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, that that was some bad news for the Brewers. Um, but yeah. Uh, we talked about the Brewers and the rest of the NL Central last week. Now we will be, you know, this week we are talking the NL East. The order of these teams was completely random, meaning we put them well, in. Well, the divisions was random. The teams or, are. Or yeah, yeah. The, the divisions were completely random, meaning we put them in. We put them in a computer, one of those randomizer websites. And yeah, NL East, NL East was. Uh, was second on the board, um, but yeah, it it's arguably the best division in baseball this year. Uh, three legit, as you mentioned earlier, three legit World Series contenders here. Yeah, um, pretty crazy. And yeah, what we do with each team, we start off by you know kind of talking about the state of their team, who they lost, who they added, and then getting into one particular player to watch who's usually kind of under the radar, and a lot of the times also on the younger side. Um, but yeah, we'll start with the Washington Nationals. Uh, they went fifty-five and one hundred seven last year. They finished last in the NL East. They lost uh, Luke Voigt, Anibal Sanchez, Nelson Cruz, Steve Ciszek, and Eric Fetty. They added Trevor Williams, Corey Dickerson, Jamer Candelario, uh, AR fr- alum, friend of the show, <laughs> uh, Willie Peralta, Dominic Smith, Michael Chavis, and Alex Colome. Um so with the Nationals, who are you looking at? Well, they, they this team is uh, interesting. 
Yeah. You know, they have some guys who play baseball, allegedly. Um, this pick, it feels obvious for this team, but if he was on any other team, this would be a really good under-the-radar pick. I'm going with Joey Manessis, mm. I think. I think I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that's your guy as well. No, I, I actually, I was thinking maybe... Uh, you might go with him, so I figured, yeah. Nice. Well, great call, great read on your part. Um, a lot of this is me trying to. You're really good defensive coordinator there. Yes, a lot of a lot of my picks are like, maybe Daniel won't pick this guy. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I am going with Joey Manessis. Uh, he made his debut on August second, the literal day of the trade deadline, where they had traded Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Mm-hmm. From August first through the end of the season, he ranked tied for eleventh in the majors in weighted runs created plus at one fifty six. 156, and he also ranked fifth in slugging uh, with a 563. Uh, he only trailed Aaron Judge, Jose Altuve, JT Realmuto, and Manny Machado in slugging percentage for the last two months of the season. He became the second player in Nationals slash Expos history to have a 925 OPS or higher in their first 56 career games. The other one was Juan Soto, and this is a minimum of 230 plate appearances. So... It's Juan Soto and Joey Manessis to do that in in franchise history. Uh, During that time, he ranked 14th among the 89 hitters with at least 150 batted balls in average exit velocity with a 91.4 mile per hour average exit velocity. Uh, I thought this was pretty cool. In 23 plate appearances against curveballs last year, he managed an 8.9 run value per 100. That Mm. means for every 100 curveballs he saw, he produced about 9 runs which is crazy. In fact, it's the second highest among the 2,469 players to have at least 20 plate appearances and on every pitch. Mm. He batted 524 against curveballs and slugged 1143. Uh, That slugging percentage ranked second among the 3,142 players to have at least 10 plate appearances and on every pitch. And also from August on, he slugged 950 on balls that went to the opposite field. That ranked second among the 121 players with at least 750 total pitches seen over that time. The only player he trailed was Aaron Judge. So Joey Manessas hit the ball really well. He debuted at age 30 last year, uh, but he is probably the guy to watch for the Nationals going into this year. Maybe he could Turn into a trade piece because I, I can't imagine he's part of the Nationals' long-term plans. But if he can keep this going this year, uh, he's a guy that someone could look out for at the deadline to better their team. Yeah, yeah. Manessis was just a random, interesting player last year. And, uh, like, yeah, great batted ball um, profiles last year as a, as a first baseman. Yeah, like n- almost a 10% barrel rate. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, he was pretty... Yeah, thirty nine percent sweet spot sweet spot percentage, which is six percent above average. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, he's definitely a guy to. He, he's showed he was a good MLB hitter, I guess, uh, which is um interesting. He's thirty years old, but I guess he's figured it out now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my player to watch, he's he's good, but I think I don't know if he's more interesting than good, or he he might be more interesting than he is yeah. good. Um, I'm talking about, uh, Hunter Harvey, um, <laughs> shout out to the 2020 Orioles. Yeah. He, came, he was my player to watch. Yeah. He came, uh, to, yeah, he came to the nationals from the Orioles. Um, and, uh, in 39 and a third innings pitch last year, he had a two, five, two ERA two Oh seven FIP and only one home run allowed. 
Uh, out of 253 relievers to throw 30-plus innings pitch last year, his uh, FIP ranked 12th. And his four-seamer averaged 98.3 miles per hour, and he threw that four-seamer 77.0% of the time. Um, out of 446 pitchers to throw 500-plus pitches last year, Harvey's four-seam fastball usage was fifth highest. Um, and uh, 54.3% of his overall pitches, all pitches involved, were four-seam fastballs of at least 98 miles per hour, and that is the highest percentage of such pitches out of 446 pitchers. And uh, he did well on he did well with the fastball. It, it was something that worked for him. Uh, hitters hit 202 and slugged 308 off his four-seamer. He also had a negative 2.3 run value per 100 against it, uh, and that was the sixth best among 225 pitchers that had 100-plus plate appearances and on four-seamers. So in layman's, ter- in layman's terms, he was like top 5%, uh, you know, four-seamer per four-seamer per four that, that he threw. He was, you know, like top 5% in getting results on that, on, uh, that four-seamer. Uh, along with that, uh, he is, uh, he's 28 and, uh, under control through 2026. So, you know, he could be a trade target. Uh, you know, he, he does have a couple more years of control, a little bit on the younger side. And if he continues to be a very good reliever, you know, he's not something that the nationals necessarily need to keep around. Um, so maybe the, the nationals could get a, a decent prospect out of, uh, out of Hunter Harvey if he continues his success. But yeah, he's basically like... Uh, Spencer Strider in reliever form, yeah, by I, just yep. throwing a 98 mile per hour fastball like all the time, <laughs> all the time. Uh, it's pretty wild. So, uh, should be fun to watch if you ever happen to have a Nationals game on and he comes, he Accident- comes out there accidentally. Yeah, if <laughs> accidentally, if your favorite team is maybe if you're a Mets fan and you or, yeah. and you're watching him against the Nationals or watching them against the Nationals. You just you know it's coming. It's a it's a fastball, yeah. uh, so see what happens. A one pitch pitcher, as they call it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, not well, not quite to Matt Whistler's degree, but yeah, pretty pretty old school. Um, so yeah, now we get into uh, questions. What do you have to ask for me? Yeah, I mean, shout out to Har- Hunter Harvey for making it back to players to watch. It's been yes. it's been a few years, uh, pre pandemic. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Literally one of the twenty players that was picked by or I guess 40 players technically because um, we did two we did four divisions yeah I can't wait till it's um 2029 and, and it's time for Andy Rodriguez again <laughs> yeah um or it's time for like Logan Gilbert for the third time yes yeah um so my question uh over under 14 and a half walks for Luis Garcia he played. Oh he God. had a two point nine percent walk rate last year. He had eleven walks in three hundred sixty plate appearances. So I guess it relies on, on his, the number of plate appearances yeah, he has. Yeah, uh, Fangraphs projects he's going to have five hundred. Um. Yeah. I he's mean, he's twenty three years old. So I mean, you'd have to assume they're giving him a large portion of their playing time. He also had like a two sixty average last year. So he's you know able to find a spot in that lineup. Yeah, and he hit, he's a second baseman, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean you got Abrams. Not at to short. be confused with the starter or the reliever. Uh yes, yes. Um, Luis Garcia. Yeah, so you got Abrams at short. So 
he's not taking a spot necessarily. I'll say I'll say he hits 15 walks. All right. Yeah. It's a bold take. Yeah, bold take. <laughs> you never you never know with this guy. Um my question regarding the Nationals, um this is kind of subjective. Um by season's end, who will be looking like the best pickup in the Scherzer Turner Soto deals? Ah. So candidates it, it doesn't even have to be a guy at the MLB level. Yeah. So, you know, there's plenty of candidates. I'm I'm gonna give you an answer already. I'm gonna say James Wood. Ah. Uh that's I think the most underrated piece out of any. He's already like a fringe top ten prospect in all of baseball. Um, he's a bat that was in the Soto trade, like one of the last guys that was thrown in. Um, and I was surprised at how, uh, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm not surprised they traded him because I mean, you had to get one Soto. Right. Um, let me, let me find him real quick. His, his numbers, but he is, uh, just to give you an idea, he had a, uh, an, of 956 OPS overall last year between the, uh, the organization's. Uh, with Washington, he had an 8.29 OPS in A-ball. So he's probably not playing this year. Baseball Prospectus has him as the number three prospect in all of baseball. Um, and maybe he's the number one prospect in all of baseball come next year because, I mean, Francisco Alvarez will be graduating. Gunnar Henderson will be graduating. Corbin Carroll will be graduating. Yeah, I think we could see James Wood as the number one prospect in baseball come next year. So yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with James Wood. Yeah, he's only um, 20, and he... Yep. Uh, he was drafted out of high school, out of uh, IMG Academy, actually. <laughs> nice. Uh, and yeah, he's project- his, his ETA is 2025, so he yes. probably could go up by a lot. Yeah, um, I mean, maybe, I think a best-case scenario is we see him in AAA, but I think that's even unlikely, because he's, he's probably going to start back in A-ball. I mean, he only played, what, how many games in A-ball between the two levels? Uh, about... Or he played 71 games in A-ball. So he'll probably spend a couple of games down there. If he does really well, he'll move up to high A for a few months and then double A. Yeah, I didn't realize um, I didn't realize he was, uh, yeah, a part of that, uh, yeah. that deal. I, I thought, like, yeah, I, from, I, I thought the, I think the consensus at the deadline was, like, the best guy not in the MLB in that deal was, like, Robert Hassel, the yeah. third. Yeah. But yeah, I guess this guy is really yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna say James Wood for sure as my as my uh, number one piece because I mean it's what it's Abrams, it's Hassal, it's Kiebert Ruiz, yeah, uh, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Mackenzie Gore, and that yeah, yeah th- those are all I listed candidates in parentheses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no, I'm gonna go with James Wood. Yeah. All right. Good. I I learned about I learned I learned a lot about James Wood today. Amazing. Um. The more you know. All right. So moving on from the Nationals, um, we will be talking about the Miami Marlins, who went 69-93 and last year to finish fourth in the NL East. Uh, over the offseason, they lost Pablo Lopez, Miguel Rojas, Richard Blyer, Brian Anderson, and J.J. Bleday. They added Luis Arise, uh, the 2022 uh, AL batting champion. Uh, they also added... Gene Segura, JT Chajois, Matt Barnes, and AJ Puck. Um, I'll start with my players to watch. Because there was one where I was like, I think there's going to be overlap here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because he's just fun to look at. <laughs> I, yep, he is. <laughs> so, I have two players to watch. Um, actually, I'll, 
Yeah, no, I'll just do both to start. Yeah. Um, so the first guy I, I got to talk about, he's super fun batted ball profiles last year, uh, Brian De La Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Brian De La Cruz, he just came up out of nowhere. He had like a really, really hot streak at one point. He was a how about that. He won one of your custom awards because yeah, he was... Yeah, the, the, the Hershey Award. The Hershey Award, yep. Um, <laughs> you'll, not, you'll, not the cool award there. The Mercy Award was where it was at. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Griffin Jacks. <laughs> but uh, Brian De La Cruz is a 26-year-old center fielder, and despite a 725 OPS and 355 plate appearances last year, he was an amazing hitter. Uh, his expected WOBA, expected slugging, and expected batting average were all 90th percentile or higher. Uh, his average exit velocity and barrel rate were also 82nd and 84th percentile, respectively. Out of 281 hitters with 200-plus batted balls, uh, De La Cruz's sweet spot percentage was the highest. We're going to mention sweet spot percentage probably a couple times throughout the preview sweet spot percentage especially if we're talking about brian de la cruz yes sweet spot sweet spot percentage is uh batted balls with a launch angle between eight and 32 degrees it's kind of like the ideal place to hit a ball it's usually like a a line drive or a low fly ball that's not going to hang up in the air too long and there's some great results on that i'll probably pull the you know the league results on balls in the sweet spot later but Brian De La Cruz was in the sweet spot more than anybody in Major League Baseball last year. Uh, and also, um, so the reason why he didn't necessarily pop off in terms of non-expected numbers, you know, he only had a 103 OPS plus, and that's because he had the fifth unluckiest batting average and expected batting average difference and the third unluckiest slugging and expected slugging difference uh, out of 281 batters. Um, so that's what I have on Brian De La Cruz. And then my second player to watch, which was to, you know, maybe add another player if we had the same one, uh, is uh, Jesus, L- Jesus Lazardo, um, 25-year-old starting pitcher. They got him in the Starling Marte trade in uh, 2021. Um, he started to really come into form last year. In a hundred and a third innings pitch, he posted a 3-3-2 ERA, 3-1-2 FIP and 3-3-9 expected ERA, all very, very good. He increased his strikeout rate from 22.4% in 2021 to 30.0% in 2022. His walk rate also decreased from 11.0% to 8.8%. And uh, he had a career high in forcing fastball velocity last year at 96.3 miles per hour. And that was in the 85th percentile in uh, in all of baseball. So yeah, that's that's all I got for uh, Marlins players to watch. Very cool. We do not have overlap. We don't have overlap. Yeah, no. I, there was a guy on the Marlins that I also think is very fun to look at um, for several different reasons, and I've been looking at him since about June of last year. I'm talking about Edward Cabrera. Mm. Uh, he's one of my faves. Uh, he led the he so last year he led the 4,000. 572 seasons since the pitch tracking era began in 2008 in average changeup velocity. Uh, his changeup was averaged out at 92.5 miles an hour, and that's also the 4,572 seasons. That's minimum 50 changeups thrown in a season. Mm. Uh, nobody threw harder than Edward Cabrera did, and he threw uh, 
He is the all-time leader since 2008 in with uh, 56 changeups reaching at least 94 miles per hour. Uh, he is the hardest throwing. He is the hardest changeup uh, in velocity that we've ever seen, probably ever. Uh, he owns the top three most 93 plus mile per hour changeups thrown in any single game since 2008, 28, 22, and 21 respectively. He all threw those last year. Uh, he was in the top 20th percentile in average exit velocity, hard hit rate, expected batting average, and whiff rate uh, in 2022. Uh, also in 2022, 90%, 97% of all changeups that he threw topped 90 miles per hour. That ranks first among the 484 pitchers uh, since 2008 that have tallied at least one of such pitch. Uh, he had a game against the Rockies last year where he threw, I believe, yeah, that was the one where he threw 28 change-ups that were at least 93 miles an hour. Uh, at one point in, like, the fourth inning, one of his change-ups uh, made, like, the the game board on Savant where it's, like, the top five fastest pitches of the game. He had a change-up on there. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, which was incredible. That was it's. I've gone back and watched that outing multiple times uh, because it was stupid. It was ridiculous. Uh, he threw a 96-mile-an-hour change-up in that game. Yeah, that's wild. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a guy to watch. The The one thing that he can improve on is his walk rate. He had an 11.4% walk rate last year, uh, which was bottom 10%. But, uh, we, but he's a guy that you need to watch when he's on the mound, strictly for his stuff alone, because, I mean, it looks unhittable. Uh, and sometimes he doesn't know where it's going. That's the only thing. But, yeah. I mean, he's an ace in the making for the Marlins, and they have many. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, that's also one thing I was uh, I should have mentioned with Jesus Lazardo is like, you know, the Marlins, you know, their strength is their starting pitching. However, like, you know, two like two years ago, I thought this twenty twenty three, I I had a take that the twenty twenty three Marlins were going to lead in starter ERA. Um, however, that's because I thought like Trevor Rogers was going to, you know. Be, I mean, he could still he could bounce back, yeah. but like you know, based on last year, it doesn't look great. Uh, and I thought Sixto Sanchez was gonna <laughs> be back by this point, but he, he's he's in camp, so I guess that's a good sign. Unless it's like one of those deep fakes. Yeah, it it very well could be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you know, and they just lost uh, Pablo Lopez, but you know they have the defending Cy Young. They have Yuri Perez coming up this year. Yeah, and uh, you know guys he's like six like, ten by the way. Guys like is very tall. Guys like Lazardo and Cabrera, who I believe are both heading into their age twenty five season, you know, could be crucial to you know winning the Marlins some ball games, um, and being you know core pieces for a good while. Um, actually, I have to take this for a second. Okay. Hello. Yep. Uh, yes. Um, yes, yes, I can. Thank you so much. I do, yes. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay. Awesome. Woo. I thought I was hearing things with the alarm. 
but it turns out it's real. <laughs> I thought it was just my thoughts. I, I know. I'm not even kidding. I was <laughs> like, oh, my God, why am I hearing the alarm? <laughs> Anxiety's through the roof. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I finished my point on yeah. the young Marlins And I finished my Edward Cabrera. Yeah, all right. So that does it for the Marlins. Uh, and now we get into the... No, no, no. We have questions. Oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> questions. Yeah, I'll start with my... Question. Oh boy, I didn't put a question. That's my bad. <laughs> make up one on the spot. I'll make. I'll try to. <laughs> you know. I'll do. Uh, yeah, who Who <laughs> will be good on the team? H- how about you ask your question and I'll think of mine while I'm answering. All right, I will do that. Uh, which player has the best chance of returning to the form that they were in when the Marlins acquired them? Avisel Garcia, Jorge Soler, or Jacob Stallings? Um. Uh. <coughs> um. So wait, say that again. So, which player has the best chance of returning to form, like the form that they were in when the Marlins acquired them? Because all of them had down years last year. Uh, between Avisel Garcia, Jorge Soler, or Jacob Stallings. Um, I'll say um Avisel Garcia because I think he has like a longer track record of being a very good performer. Um, at least offensively. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that just seemed like a weird outlier last year, whereas, like, the other two, I think you could have seen it coming a little more. Um, yeah, I just realized the Nationals was the only team I put my questions for. Nice. I'm gonna t- can I take, like, five yeah. and, yeah, and yeah, just yeah. come up with some questions? Yeah, for sure. My bad. So now over to my question, <clears throat> as I've prepared them now. Um, will... Trevor Rogers have over under a three nine zero ERA in twenty twenty three. So he was uh, well under that in twenty twenty one and well over that in twenty twenty two. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say under. I'll take the under. I I think he can have a bounce back year. Um, I mean this was kind of the year that we were hoping for for Marlins pitching. I'm sure that he can figure it out. I admittedly have not looked too much into what went wrong with him last year. Yeah. Um, but I think I think he can bounce back. Yeah, he uh yeah, he had a two six four ERA in twenty twenty one, finished in two five five FIP as well, and uh yeah. and yeah, he finished second in the rookie of the year voting. We both argued Thought he, he should have won. Argued he should have won. Yeah. Um and last year five four seven ERA, four three five FIP. But uh but yeah, we'll see we'll kinda see where he lies <laughs> this year. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't really you know, hard to predict these things. But yeah, he's he could be a crucial part of, you know, how many games this team wins and maybe the outlook of their future. Cause, yeah, you know, uh there's a lot of young starting pitching, even outside of Sandy Alcantara, uh, that could break out. And uh Trevor Rogers is is one of those guys who could be a staple of the future. Um, all right. So now we move on to the defending NL champion, Philadelphia Phillies. It's so weird to say. Yeah. Like, <laughs> cause yeah, they went 87 and 75. They finished third in the NL East. Uh, they took the sixth seed in the playoffs. They beat the Cardinals in the wild card round, beat the Braves in the NLDS, beat the Padres in the NLCS and lost to the Astros in the world series. Um, over the off season, they lost Zach Eflin, Gene Segura, Noah Syndergaard, David Robertson, Matt Veerling, Corey Knable, Kyle Gibson. Yeah, Kyle Gibson, Nick Matone, and... Maton. Nick Maton. 
and Brad Hand, who had a 2.80 ERA, surprisingly. <laughs> um, and also over the offseason, they added Trey Turner, one of the best players in baseball. Taiwan Walker as well. Craig Kimbrell, uh, Gregory Soto, Matt Strom, and Josh Harrison. So now over to you. Uh, who is your player to watch for the Phillies? So my player to watch is definitely another guy like Hunter Harvey, who's more interesting than good. Yeah. Uh, he is the projected number five starter in their rotation. I'm talking about Bailey Falter. Mm. Uh, Bailey Falter threw his sinker 33% of the time last year, the most of any pitch in his arsenal. Chris, I'm going to point to you like that scene in Moneyball. Yeah. Why do pitchers throw sinkers? To get ground balls. To get ground balls. Thank you. Bailey Falter's sinker induced a 32.9% ground ball rate. That is the third lowest among the 174 pitchers with at least 50 batted balls allowed against their sinker. So he doesn't get ground balls, but he throws a sinker more than any other pitch. His sinker had a 20.9 degree launch angle, the second highest on that same list of 174. And this was because Falter had location issues. Uh, 14.3% of all sinkers that were thrown by Bailey Falter were in the lower third of the strike zone. And if you move up, 45.1% of them were in the upper two-thirds of the strike zone. That would be the 11th highest rate among the 128 pitchers with at least 300 sinkers thrown total. Now, why does this matter? Because in 2022, 63.6% of all batted balls against sinkers in the lower third of the strike zone across all of Major League Baseball were ground balls. Uh, again, batted balls in that zone against sinkers had a 63.6% ground ball rate. If we move to the upper two-thirds of the strike zone, that number shrinks to 48.5%. It goes down 15%, uh, and that's where Bailey Falter lives. He had the seventh lowest ground ball rate last year among the 155 pitter pitchers with at least 250 batted balls allowed. He needs to locate better uh, to become what he needs to be. So, Bailey Falter, uh, if he wants to become a... I don't. I, I don't know if he's like ace, but you know, if he wants to be a good three, four starter, uh, he needs to locate that that sinker better. If he can't do that, he needs to change his arsenal because it's not going to work if he's throwing his sinker in the upper two thirds of the strike zone almost half the time. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm looking at uh his baseball savant right now. Yeah, interesting, interesting type of pitcher for sure. Yes. Um, it says I. What I imagine it is is you he's know a lot of movement. They don't have, like, they don't have two seamers on Savant. Yeah. So I imagine it's it's kind of a two seamer because it says his his vertical movement on his. Uh, it's one of the lowest. It's it's yeah. I think it's, it's third lowest in baseball. Yeah, it's one of the lowest. So I guess he probably uses it more as a two seamer. But there's also no horizontal movement on it either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. But you know, if it doesn't move, it doesn't move. But you still got to locate. Yeah, and you can get better results if you locate. Especially, yeah, it looks like he's a lower velocity type pitcher, and like, like it's better for higher velocity pitchers to pitch yeah. up in the zone, and lower velocity pitchers to pitch lower um, in the zone. You know what is funny? There are two players in baseball history named Bailey, and I've put both of them down as a player to watch. Oh, because nice. I had Bailey over last year. <laughs> yeah, couple starting pitchers. <laughs> yeah, uh, young starting pitchers. Yeah, Bailey Falter, projected number five. Starter in the rotation. My uh, player to watch, um, you may know him from his days in the Keen Swamp Bats. Um, shout out to the NECBL. Yes. Uh, funny because he, like, he, he hit like 114 in the NECBL, which is crazy to think he's an actual <laughs> good. He's a good. Uh, 
MLB hitter. I can't wait for the players to watch in like 2025. Yeah. When it's like, you may know him from his time with the Winnipesaukee Muskrats. <laughs> it's Jacob Corson. <laughs> but uh, I'm talking about Derek Hall. Um, so with Bryce Harper out the first couple months, if you didn't know, Harper had, uh, I think, elbow surgery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's going to be out for the first couple months of the regular season. So with Bryce Harper out, uh, Derek Hall is projected as the starting DH. on And uh, on fan graphs, they project him the number six hitter. Um, Derek Hall in 142 plate appearances last year. He hit 250 with an 804 OPS. Pretty solid. Uh, when he hits the ball, he hits it really well. Uh, he had a 91.4 mile per hour exit velocity, which is top nine percent among the same the... as. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. That's the same as Joey Manessis. And yeah, both would be top nine percent among 497 hitters with 50 plus batted balls last year. Um, also, Hall had a 17.4 percent barrel rate, which is top 1.5 percent among those 497 hitters. Uh, also on contact. He slugged 772, which is top 3% among those 497 hitters. Now, yeah, he slugs he slugs great on contact. His issue is making the contact. Uh, he had a 31.0% strikeout rate last year and also uh, you know, not great plate discipline, not great relative plate discipline. He had a 3.5% walk rate. So Strikeout minus walk rate was like 27.5%, which is very, very bad um, when, you're a, uh, when you're a hitter. But his, when he hit the ball, it was great. Um, he also had a 32.6% chase rate, which was in the top 30% among 434 hitters to see 250-plus pitches out of the zone. And he had a 33.7% whiff rate, which was top 12% among 432 hitters to swing at 250-plus pitches. Now, I guess to look optimistically, uh, the lack of walks might be a little uncharacteristic. Uh, he had a, he had an 8.7% walk rate in 660 career minor league games. So it's not necessarily like it's his style of play to not walk a lot. Like, you know, a guy like uh, Wander Franco or, yeah, Luis Garcia from the Nationals, I don't think there have ever been guys that walk a lot. Derek Hall, it, you know, he usually has an average walk rate according to his minor league statistics. So maybe he just needs to see, you know, there's a good chance he needs to see more big league pitching to give him more discipline and maybe lower the strikeout rate, increase his walk rate. But yeah, when he hits the ball, uh, it's pretty crazy. He, you know, a 17.4% barrel rate is nothing to scoff at. So, uh, you know, look out for him. He's probably going to get out more at bats with, with Bryce Harper being out. Um, so yeah, look out for, uh, for Derek Hall from the left side at DH. You may know him from his time at Alumni Field. Yeah. <laughs> in Keene, New Hampshire. But this time, he's going to Citizens Bank Park. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, what is your question? My question, between Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, who will have the most effective pitch by run value? Uh, if we're looking for candidates based on last year, Nola's four-seamer last year had a negative 11 Run value, his cutter had a negative 7, and his, slide, or his sinker had a negative 11 as well. For Wheeler, both his four-seamer and his sinker had a minus 10. Um, interesting. Very, going very, very yeah. sabermetric. Very, game. very niche. I, I'm, surpri- like, uh, I'm surprised Nola's uh, curveball isn't, um, wasn't, like, didn't really pop off. Or maybe maybe I confuse his curveballs for a slider. Um, 
but I f- oh, you know what? I wrote I wrote curveball instead. I wrote I said cutter when I meant curveball. Oh, okay. I, I wrote cu. Um, I don't know why I thought I, that wouldn't translate to cutter in my head. What was this curveball run? Minus by? seven. Like, minus seven. Um, maybe because it just looks good. I'm gonna say. I don't know. Fastball, fastballs in general can get good run values because they throw it a lot. Um, and what was Wheeler's at negative uh, ten? His hit both of his uh, sinker and fastball. Um, I'll say, I'll say Wheeler's fastball. Okay. I'm gonna say it gets the most run, or the least run value. Least run value, which yeah. is good. I went, I, went, I I did go with this very sabermetric based yeah. question more than more than usual. I was like, you know what? I want to do something unique here, and we have two very good pitchers. One of which is in a contract year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where he's probably going to be the best pitcher on the market, and not the, named Shohei Otani. And the other, it feels like it's gone by so fast. Still only has two years on the left oh on that deal. What a what a deal that's been, by the way. Yeah, I was really not keen on it. <laughs> I was hyped for it. I was like, yo, Phillies just got a good one. I thought I thought Wheeler was the one stealing, but it turned out it was the <laughs> Phillies. Um, yeah. yeah, I was definitely wrong about that one. Um, my question is, uh, I also very subjective. Will Brandon Marsh look like a reliable everyday starting center fielder by the end of the year? So the Phillies have gone through quite the carousel of center fielders the last couple of years. Obviously they had Matt Veerling for a while or for a year. Um, I forget who they had in 2021 off the top of my head, but it was interesting. Um, does he look like an everyday? I mean, he had flashes of, of moments with the angels, I was about to say that, yeah. yeah. Like he's shown, fl- he's shown flashes. But do we see it on a consistent basis? I, I assume is what you're talking about. They had Andrew McCutcheon in 2021 as their center fielder. Um, uh, I am not sure. <laughs> I, I I think I need some time to think about this one. Um, but I'll I'll come up with an answer. Every day. So I mean, like, if we're talking every day, does this mean like one and a half to two win season? Um, it mean it means like okay. So, and I'll talk. I'll I'll vamp on this while you while yeah. you think about it. But like you know, Brandon Marsh. By the way, he came up as a top sixty MLB prospect yes. uh, in twenty twenty one. I think he's twenty he's heading into his age twenty four season or twenty five season right now. Um, yeah, and he's like he had a great batted ball batted ball profile in twenty twenty one. I he was my twenty twenty two Angels player to watch. Um, he has a he, 376 career BABIP. He strikes out a lot, but when he hits the ball, he hits it hard, and he typically hits a lot of line drives too, at least he did in 2021. Um, but he got traded midseason last year for the um, Logan O'Hoppy. For a guy who, yeah, is now the Angels' best prospect, Logan O'Hoppy. Um, and, uh, but yeah, he strikes out a lot. But I guess my question is, like, you know, are the are – the, are the Phillies going to have to go center fielding center fielder searching again after like this year? And if we're talking center fielder specifically, he's good at defense. Like yeah. that is a strong suit of his. Um, I mean, I would start by striking out less than 30% of the time. Yeah. That, that would definitely be a start. I don't know because I mean, his BABIP is so good. Like he has a 376 career BABIP. That's insane. Um, and he has a 248 career average. Which yeah. just goes and to show you how how bad the strikeouts are. And with with the Phillies last year specifically, he had a seven seventy three OPS, which was a lot better than what he yeah. did with the. I Angels. mean, off the top of my head, I don't really know who else would be available after this year if the Phillies have any internal options. Yeah. Because um, when I think of Phillies top prospects, I think of like 
Andrew Painter and Mick Abel. Yeah. Um, who would not fit that bill. Um, right. I mean, I think the Phillies are going to need to start seeing him as a as an everyday left fielder. Yeah. Uh, he had a 1.7 F4 last year. I'm saying if to be every day, I'd say he needs to be at at least like 2.3. Mm. Um, he'll be getting. He played 104, 34 games last year. He'll probably be playing around that many this year. Uh, I'll say yes. I'll say he does it. I I think he has a weighted runs created plus around like 105 to 110. Yeah. Uh, with solid defense, and that that'll give him everyday time. Yeah, not looking for an all star, but yeah, yeah, a guy who can start every day. Um. Cause yeah, he he does. It, it's yeah, Brandon Marsh. You don't know exactly on a day to day on a day to day basis what you'll get from him. Yeah, could be awesome. Could be not the best. Could be not awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, Phillies have a lot of positions filled. But yeah, center field has has always kind of troubled them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> since what Shane Victorino. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Now we move on to the Mets. Who have gotten a lot of press this off season? Yes, they have. For well, yeah, good reason I'd say. Um, last year they went one hundred one and sixty one and finished second in the NL East and uh, earned the four seed in the playoffs, but lost to the Padres in the wild card round. Over the off season, they lost Jacob Degrom, Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, Seth Lugo, Trevor Williams, Tyler Naquin, Joely Rodriguez, Trevor May. James McCann and Dominic Smith, but they also added quite a bit. And, and, you know, a lot of these additions, I I didn't put them in additions, but they also re-signed some guys Mm -hmm. that were important. Um, They added Justin Verlander, the reigning AL Cy Young winner. Also Kodai Senga, uh, you know, a really good Japanese starter that um, was sought after by a lot of teams. Uh, They also added Jose Quintana, added Brooks Raley, David Robertson, Tommy Pham, and Omar Narvaez. Um, and yeah, I will start with my player to watch with the Mets. Well, it's a guy who we've seen in person uh, on the, uh, well, what was the, I forget the name of the team, but they're double A team. Oh, the Binghamton Run- Rumble Ponies. The Binghamton, yeah, we saw him on the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Yeah. I'm looking at Brett Beatty, yep. uh, who is the number one. T- or the number 21 <laughs> prospect. I was going to say, base. there's no shot he's number one, either in the Mets system or... Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's number 21. He's the number 21 prospect in baseball. He's the number two prospect in the Mets system, according to MLB.com. Uh, he is not projected in the Mets' uh, opening day roster, but I would say he's bound to get some playing time at the major league level this year, like a good amount of playing time, too. Uh, in 95 minor league games last year... He hit 315 with a 943 OPS, 11.7% walk rate, and 9.8% extra base hit rate, which are both multiple percentage points above uh, MLB averages. Um, in 42 plate appearances at the major league level last year, he hit 184, but he had a 287 expected batting average. So that uh, that poor performance on the surface last year at the major league level in 11 games probably wasn't you know what it actually was on the stat sheet um along with that in those 42 major league plate appearances last year he had a 91.1 mile per hour average exit velocity and a 43.3 percent sweet spot percentage which is 10.3 percentage points above mlb average again you know very very small sample size but it looked like you know when he was at the mlb level he was able to hit the ball hard and in the right direction in those 11 games um, 
And yeah, he's heading into his age 23 season. Um, what I, what I'm looking at is, you know, obviously he's a, he's a corner infielder. Obviously Pete Alonso has his place as the starter as the Mets, uh, first baseman. Uh, but you know, you got Eduardo Escobar at, at third base, who's a switch hitter. Um, but also on the bench in the projected, uh, in the projected, uh, Mets opening day roster is Darren Ruff. Um, and personally, I think like he, you know, he had a very bad year last year and it's not like he can really platoon with Escobar or Alonzo even, um, you know, he might be a, a DH option, but I don't think he's necessarily a platoon option because he is a righty. Brett Beatty brings that guy, brings that, uh, presence at, on the left side of the batter's box. Um, and I, I think I could, we could see him, um, making some contributions this year. So, I mean, obviously the headliner of the Mets, organization um prospect wise is francisco alvarez who i think is still or is he still number one prospect in baseball yes he is um you know he's a he's their great catching prospect obviously look out for him but brett Beatty also uh should be looked at is even with this 2023 uh mets team uh who is your player to watch uh, my player to watch is one of the additions that the Mets made i think this could be one of the best value pickups of the offseason i'm talking about jose quintana nice yeah, guy that you had as an as a how about that last year. Uh, Quintana allowed the softest average exit velocity in any season throughout the StatCast era of his career in 2022. He, he allowed an average exit velocity of 86.5 miles per hour. He also led the majors in home runs per nine with uh, 0.43. And more importantly, he is moving to a ballpark that is more favorable in terms of home runs than the two that he had previously played in last year. Um, City Field has a park factor around 10 points lower in home runs than uh, both Bush Stadium and PNC Park. That were actually they were actually back to back, which is convenient. Um, he just just for, for for perspective on how good he was last year, uh, he was tied with Sandy Alcantara and FIP. He had the same FIP as Sandy Alcantara. Wow. Jose Quintana. They both had a two nine nine FIP. <laughs> um. And I mean, he's you know he's under so much less pressure, I think, because he was kind of brought in as, I don't want to say the guy in St. Louis because they also brought in Jordan Montgomery, but I mean, you know, he was expected to make a playoff push with St. Louis. He was you know in Pittsburgh. I guess there wasn't a whole lot of pressure there, but he was the best starter that they had. He was probably their biggest pickup of that offseason. You know, in New York, he's expected to be a three-four pitcher, kind of like he was with the Cubs a few years ago. Um, and I think he's going to do a really good job in that. And I think he's going to, you know, do a good job keeping the ball in the park against some good lineups like the Braves or the Phillies. Uh, and that's going to help the Mets win some games and possibly the division. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jose Quintana, I, uh, yeah, I really appreciated his season last year. Also, you know, not to mention in the playoffs, I think he went like five and a third scoreless, uh, against the Phillies and, and yeah, he was, he had a crazy like last five starts. It, you know, I think it was a sub one ERA in his last five starts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's he's definitely good. And yeah, them getting him, the Mets getting him at thirteen million a year for two years um, in this off season, uh, that was a steal, um, most likely. Um, so yeah, now now on to questions. Um, my question regards to um, Mets outfielders. Um, who will have more wins above replacement, Brandon Nimmo or Starling Marte? Uh, Nimmo had more last year, but and but over the last two years, in terms of F four, I think Nimmo has eight point seven. Marte has 
8.5. I'm going I'm going to go with Brandon Nimmo on this one. Um, he got a nice new contract. He's still a very good on-base guy. Starling Marte is how many years old now? He's 34. That's what I was going to guess. He's 34. Yeah, um, I think the defense is going to carry Nimmo a lot more, especially because he's probably going to be the everyday center fielder. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Nimmo. All My right. question is sort of similar. It's just a simple who leads this team in F4 because there are a lot of options both on the offense and the pitching side. Um, I'm going F4. Yep. So, uh, yeah, what do you think? F4. Um, yeah, so Lindor led them last year. I'm guessing, yeah. I think they that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there's a lot of good options with uh, among Lindor. Um, uh, Lindor, McNeil, Nimmo. I wouldn't say Pete Alonso is a good candidate no, considering he's not. his defense. I would agree that he's not a good candidate. He's a good player, not a good candidate for this question specifically. And then you add in uh, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. Um, I'll say Lindor repeats again because yeah, he has – that's a good pick. Even if he – maybe isn't great offensively. He still has that amazing defense and amazing base running. So I'm going to say Lindor repeats as uh, the Mets F4 champion. Fantastic. Um, So, yeah, now we move on to the Braves, who won the World Series in 2021. I forgot for a second. (laughs) Um, They went 101-61 and and won the NL East, and uh, they lost to the Phillies in the NLDS after getting their bye. Uh, over the offseason, the Braves lost Dansby Swanson, William Contreras, Kenley Jansen, Adam Duvall, Jake Odorizzi, uh, Darren O'Day, uh, Jesse Chavez, and Robbie Grossman. Uh, they didn't add too much, not that they need to, considering all their young talent, but they uh, they added Sean Murphy, um, and also Lucas uh, Lutke, which kind of went under the radar. Um, who is your Braves player to watch? So my Braves player to watch is kind of another addition, uh, hopefully, because this guy has been through a lot, and I'm hoping that we yeah. can see the return of Michael Soroka yep. uh, as he goes by now. But if you ask baseball reference, it's Soroka Michael. <laughs> uh, I've never seen a, a baseball reference error where it just has the first, uh, the last name first. But if you go on, as of... As of 11.46 a.m. Eastern Time on February 20th, if you go on Mike Soroka's baseball reference page, it says Soroka Michael. Yeah, I love that. Um, let's let's take it back to 2019 and remember the last time Mike Soroka pitched a full season in the majors. Yeah. He led the National League in home runs per nine with .7. That was in the year where everyone was giving up home runs left and right. Yeah. Michael Soroka was not. He had the third lowest fly ball rate among the 152 pitchers with at least 250 batted balls. His fly ball rate was just 15.3%. He had three pitches that he threw at least 300 times that had a run value per 100 below minus one. And they were his sinker, his slider, and his changeup. His entire arsenal was extremely effective. Uh, Also in 2019, 40% of all batted balls he gave up were pulled which was 3% above average. So he was giving up pulled uh, batted balls uh, more than the average pitcher. Among the 152 pitchers with at least 250 batted balls allowed, Soroka's 463 slugging percentage against pulled batted balls was the second lowest. The league average was 724. Soroka's was 463. Uh, Mm. So he did an extremely, extremely great job of limiting the damage uh, on those kinds of batted balls of which he produced a lot. Yeah. Uh, So... 
you know, Mike Soroka is projected to come back to the Braves rotation this year. The last time he pitched was 2020, obviously. Uh, he did have a little bit of a hamstring issue that popped up in spring, tra- in spring training, but the most recent updates have said that it's not a big deal and he'll be fine. Uh, yeah. So fingers crossed that we can see him back on a mound this year. Yeah. Um, because he's had everything go wrong. He had that freak injury. He fell down the stairs. Uh he like he like tore his ACL on the mound or something like that. So it's been it's been a long road back, and I hope that we can see Michael Soroka return. Yeah, to yeah. form too. Yeah, it all started in uh, 2020. I I was like particularly. I remember like watching this game. I was particularly excited because it was Degrom versus Soroka. Yeah, you know Mets Braves two NL East teams, um, and I was excited to watch. And like he tore his Achilles. Yeah. Uh, going, I think he was going to first. To first, yeah to uh, cover first base and yeah ever since then we haven't seen him um but yeah it would be a great comeback story if he was able to come up and and even just be serviceable Mm -hmm. uh this year you know first time back in the mlb since he's definitely a a good candidate for comeback player of the year yeah yeah for sure um my braves player to watch so i'm i'm looking at i'm looking into their bullpen um Two years ago, I highlighted AJ Minter. It's not AJ Minter this time. We're not going to get. You're not going to get Minter up and moving. We're not getting Minter up and moving this time. <laughs> um, on the Fangraphs projected uh, roster, you know their closers: Rizal Iglesias, which actually sneaky good move last year to yes. trade for him, knowing that they gave up like nothing. Yeah, knowing that like Kenley Jansen was going to leave. Um, but he's going to be probably a great closer for them. AJ Minter had a great season. He's probably their eighth inning guy. But going further, we got to look at Dylan Lee. Yep. Um, he is projected like the number 11 reliever by F4 on Fangraphs, if you yeah. look at Zips. He, uh, he, was, he was really, really good last year. In 50 and two-thirds innings pitched, uh, he posted a 2-1-3 ERA, 2-5-7 expected ERA, and 2-6-6 FIP. Uh, out of 152 qualified relievers last year, his ERA ranked 20th, and strikeout minus walk rate ranked 23rd. Uh, he also had a 35.5% whiff rate, and out of 343 pitchers with 400 swings against them, Lee's whiff rate ranked 17th, which is top 5%. Um, along with that, Lee threw his slider 47.7% of the time, and uh, he got the 13th most whiffs on sliders as a reliever. You know, Among all relievers, he got the 13th most whiffs on sliders overall. Um, also, uh, Dylan Lee, particularly against lefties was dynamite. Uh, he lefties hit 158 with a 393 OPS in 77 plate appearances against him out of 392 pitchers to face 70 plus lefties in 2022. Lee had the lowest on base percentage against and the second lowest Woba against him on, uh, on, uh, in in batter in when he faced uh, lefties, he had the lowest OBP against and nice. second lowest WOBA among 392 pitchers. Um, all right, so uh, yeah, now our final questions of the day. Uh, this actually translates nicely into my question. Uh, we all know how good the Braves lineup is. We know what the rotation is capable of, but they have a lot of good bullpen pieces, like you've just mentioned. Uh, who do you think is this team's most valuable reliever? You want to double down on this one? No, I'm gonna go with Rizel Iglesias. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, he's he's still like he's not old. He's like 30, 31 or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, he signed a free agent contract, but that's because he came up like so so young. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, this that was a guy who 
had a .34 ERA with the Braves after the trade. .34 ERA, 1.52 FIP. Shout out to the to my F four elite, to yeah, my F four team true. also uh, contributed well to that as well. Um, yeah, like uh, I mean, he's amazing. He has a great fastball. Um, not even looking too deep into it. It's just like, uh, like. I think people are going to realize this year how great that trade was last year because it didn't it didn't look too it didn't look too spectacular last year because they had Kenley Jansen and obviously like really when you get a closer it's like okay like it 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 makes more mm-hmm. it makes more uh headlines or whatever it makes it people talk about it more now that he is the closer it's going to be like oh wow they got him last year that's crazy yep um, so yeah, I'll go with Rizal Glacius. It's a good pick. Um, my uh, question is similar to uh, my Mets question. It's about two outfielders. Um, who will have more war, Michael Harris or Ronald Acuna Jr.? Wow. Um, I will go with Ronald Acuna Jr. I'm expecting a really big bounce back year for him. Uh, you know, he was obviously he came back from the ACL injury last year. Didn't play quite like himself, but. I think he was kind of still playing hurt a little bit. Uh, I think, I think he's got a, a real shot to put up MVP type numbers. Yeah, and um, what I will note, but I do, but I do get why someone would pick Michael Harris. Yeah, Michael Harris. Yeah, he won Rookie of the Year. He had um, about five wins above replacement on both awesome websites. Awesome defense. Awesome defense. Awesome offense. Awesome base running. But yeah, with Ronald Cunha Jr., I did notice while I was like looking for someone else's stats, he had like bad luck mm-hmm. um yeah he had a 31 point difference in woba and Xwoba and a 73 point difference in slugging and expected slugging wow his expected slugging uh was in the 92nd percentile expected woba was in the 95th percentile so like yeah maybe it looked bad that maybe it like it fit in narrative that like he's coming back from an injury is not the same maybe he's not necessarily the exact same but he also had some bad luck mm-hmm. uh on his side like peripherally he looks amazing i guess his defense could be better um he didn't but you know coming off an acl injury it makes sense why his defense wouldn't be the same but uh but yeah that's all we got for uh for teams any any uh any final words before we head out of here uh we got al central next week yeah true we got to reveal our our next division yeah al central (laughs) yep al central next week yep um yeah after the after the NL East it's 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 not a not a crazy division to get into but I will say it's I feel like an it's an interesting one. It's sort of up for grabs. Yeah. After the way the White Sox performed last year, like I think the White Sox have a better roster than the Guardians, but the Guardians are also like a really really interesting team. Mm-hmm. They just find ways. Um like uh <coughs> Yeah, like, and they have the youngest. They had the youngest team in baseball last year. Yes, it's probably going to be similar this year. Um, yeah, a lot of young talent with the Guardians. But yeah, the White Sox higher payroll. They added uh, Benintendi too, um, and I think they're keeping most of the same team. Um, yeah, didn't lose a lot. I don't think so. It'll be interesting to talk about, especially when when we get to season predictions too. But yeah, that as far as the NL East, that's that's it. That's it for today. Um we hope you enjoyed this one. If you are listening on uh Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go check out the YouTube channel. 
Uh, we got some good digital content over there. Uh, it is called Above Replacement Radio, just like the Apple Podcasts and Spotify streams. And also, if you're listening on YouTube, uh, go subscribe to those streams, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just called Above Replacement Radio. Um, also, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow me on Instagram at Chris Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore current and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. Um, we'll be probably posting some of this content from this episode on the Instagram and the YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next week where we will be talking all teams in the NL or the AL <laughs> Central. We will see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.